Hello folks and welcome to the Comedy Corner here on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. My name is Graham Stevens and I really hope that I can bring a smile to your face. Why do only fools and old work Hello there and welcome back. First up today, an episode of Yes Minister entitled The Whiskey Priest and that's followed by another Hancock's Half Hour. So please stay tuned. Yes Minister by Anthony Jay and Jonathan Lynn. Starring Paul Eddington as the Right Honourable James Hacker MP and Nigel Hawthorne as Sir Humphrey Appleby. With Derek Foles as Bernard Woolley in The Whiskey Priest. What time is he coming? Any time now. He should be here. Perhaps something's happened to him. You mean you think he's missed his bus? No, 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 no. I mean... Something may have happened. Who is he exactly? All I know is he's an army officer. With something to tell me that he wouldn't divulge on the telephone. Oh, it's probably nothing. Perhaps. But still, remember Churchill? The wilderness years, he found out about our military inadequacy and Hitler's war machine from army officers. So, all the time he was in the wilderness, he was able to leak stories to the press and embarrass the government. I can do that. But you're in the government. Oh, yes. I'll get it. Major Saunders. Yes, sir. Follow me. Uh, it's all right. My wife, Annie. Good evening. Good evening. Drink. Thanks. Scotch. Thanks. Good time. Thanks. Thanks. I mean, sorry. No need to apologize either. Sorry. I mean, thanks. I mean... Uh, Shall I go and let you two talk together? Uh, No, no, no. Please stay. If that's all right with you, Minister. Oh, yes. I have no secrets from Manny. I tell her everything. Several times, usually. (laughs) So, this is highly confidential. Well, it is rather, yes. Shall I turn on the radio? Why? Is there something good on? In case we are being bugged. Oh, is that likely? Who's in charge of bugging politicians? Ah, yes, I come to think of it, I am. (laughs) That's all right, then. Could I just say that what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you on a personal basis. Fine. What do you mean, exactly? I'm telling you personally and not as Minister for Administrative Affairs. But I am the Minister for Administrative Affairs. Yes, but I'm not telling you in that role. I'm telling you as a journalist. You're a journalist? Well, I thought you were an army officer. No, no. You're a journalist. I'm a minister. Yes, but what were you before you became a minister? Your start of the ten, no conferring. Oh, oh, yes, I, yes, I get your drift. You're telling me what you're telling me, and incidentally, I don't know yet what you're telling me, but whatever you're telling me, you're telling me as the former editor of Reform, is that it? Yes. You were a very fine editor. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Oh, you often said that. But how do I prevent myself, as a minister, from knowing what you're going to tell me as the former editor? I mean, I can't prevent the minister from knowing, can I? I think he means it's a question of hats, darling. Yes. Ah, yes, fine. Well, 
I'm not wearing my ministerial hat tonight, I understand that, but I think I ought to warn you that if I need to be told what you tell me, I shan't hesitate to do my duty and keep myself fully informed. Fine. Now, who's in charge of selling British weapons to foreigners? Hacker, no. LSE. Shut up, Annie, please. You wrote an article in Reform about the sale of British weapons to undesirable foreign buyers. Yes, it was called The Dreadful Trade. Mm. Perfectly patriotic to manufacture arms for our own defence or for that of our allies. Although not all our allies are very commendable people. But we must not sell British weapons to bolster the regimes of foreign despots, Nazi dictators. <laughs> or terrorists. Terrorists? Terrorists? Terrorists. As I told you, I've recently returned from Rome. Rome, yes. Uh, NATO or something, wasn't it? Yes, a military delegation to NATO. Now, while I was in Italy, they showed me something that they'd captured in a raid on a terrorist HQ. It was a computerized bomb detonator. Very new, very secret, and very lethal. Who showed it to you? I'm afraid I can't possibly tell you. It's in absolute confidence. I see. A computerized bomb detonator? Yes. You set it to calculate the weight of the victim, the speed of his car, and so on, so that you're sure of getting him. And you can reprogram it remotely by radio after setting it. Gosh. Some I don't associate Italians with that sort of technology, do you? <laughs> it wasn't made in Italy. It was made here. Made in Britain? Yes. Under a Ministry of Defence contract. And paid for by the British taxpayer. And used by Italian terrorists? Yes. Where did they get them? Well, that's what I want to know. You haven't told anybody else about this? No, no, I can't. If I make an official report, then I'd have to disclose my sources. But I thought if I told someone near the top of government... Um, at the top, actually. <laughs> yes, that secret British equipment was being supplied to Italian terrorists, then he would... Oh, absolutely. What would he? Find out how it's being done. The investigation would have to start here in Britain, of course, and at the very top level. But you told me that you were telling me on a personal level, didn't you? Yes. But now you know personally, even if you don't know officially, you can use your personal knowledge to start official investigations to get official confirmation of personal suspicions. <laughs> so that what you now know personally, but not officially, you will then know officially as well as personally. You're not related to Sir Humphrey Appleby, Bandage, are you? Who? No, nothing. I just felt I had to tell someone. Oh, absolutely. Well, now I know, personally. Marvellous. You're going to do something about it, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Indeed, I am. And right away? Right away. What are you going to do? I'm going to think about what you've told me right away. And then? Then I'm going to consider various courses of action without delay. You're going to take action without delay? I'm going to consider taking action without delay. Are you related to Sir Humphrey Appleby? Another drink, Major? Uh, no, no, thank you. I, I must be off. But I can rely on you to tackle this shocking matter. Indeed, you can. Goodbye. Good night. Good night, Major. Good night, sir. And, uh, thank you. Well, what do you make of that, eh? Well, you are going to do something about it, aren't I you? I certainly am, if it's right. I can't believe it's true. Could it happen? It couldn't. Could it? I mean, it's not just that it shouldn't, but it couldn't. And even if it could, it wouldn't, would it? You are related to Sir Humphrey Appleby. <laughs> Humphrey, I must talk to you about something. Something that concerns me deeply. Mm. Really profoundly important. 
Is it the amendment to the administrative order on stock control in government establishment? No, no, no. Or the procedure for the renewal of local authority leaseholds in a special development area? No. What concerns me is a great issue, really, of life and death. Oh. Well, shouldn't that wait till after work? <laughs> it is work. Oh, really? Well, please go on. How do British arms manufacturers sell their arms to foreigners? Uh, well, I believe you have to get an export license from the Department of Trade. So, private firms can sell their arms abroad? Private companies and government agencies, huh? To whom do they sell? Well, foreign governments, usually. Is that all? Uh, well, sometimes you can sell to an arms dealer, third party. Perhaps a little man in Manchester buys on behalf of a party in the Channel Islands who uh, has a contact in Luxembourg. So there's no real control over who the arms go to in the end? Oh, indeed there is. The dealer has to provide an end-user certificate, which is a signature acceptable to Her Majesty's government that the ultimate customer is, in fact, an approved user. Well, is that a real guarantee? I mean, uh, would you be surprised, for instance, if a British aircraft carrier turned up in the Central African Republic? Well, I, for one, Minister, would be very surprised. It's a thousand miles inland. No, no, you know what I mean. What about smaller weapons? Well, it's officially impossible. There's stringent security. Rigorous inspection procedures, meticulous scrutiny. You mean it's all a facade? <laughs> I think perhaps this conversation should end here, don't you? No, 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 no. It's as I thought. Last night, a uh, confidential source disclosed to me that British arms are being sold to Italian red terrorist groups. I see. May I ask who this confidential source was? Humphrey, I just said it was confidential. Oh, I'm sorry. I naturally assumed that meant you were going to tell me. I'm very worried by this information. Well, these things happen all the time. It's not our problem. So does robbery with violence. Doesn't that worry you? No, Minister. Home office problem. Humphrey, we are letting terrorists get hold of murderous weapons. We're not. Well, who is? Oh, who knows? Department of Trade, Ministry of Defence, Foreign Office? We, Humphrey, the British government. Innocent lives are being set at risk by British arms in the hands of terrorists. Only Italian lives, not British lives. British tourists abroad. Tourists, Foreign Office problem. Humphrey, we have to do something. With respect, Minister, we have to do nothing. Do you mean? The sale of arms abroad is one of those areas of government that we do not examine too closely. Well, I have to, now that I know about it. Well, you can say you don't know you suggesting I should lie? Oh, not you, Minister, no. And who should lie? Sleeping dogs, Minister. No, no, I am going to raise this. No, Humphrey. Minister, I beg you. A basic rule of government is never look into anything you don't have to. And never set up an inquiry unless you know in advance what its findings will be. Oh, believe this. We are talking about good and evil. Ah, Church of England problem. No, it's our problem. We are discussing right and wrong. You may be, Minister, but I'm not. It would be a very serious misuse of government time. Selling arms to terrorists is wrong. Can't you see that? Huh? No, Minister. Either you sell arms or you don't. If you sell them, they will inevitably end up with people who have the cash to buy them. But not terrorists? Yeah, well, I suppose we could put some sort of government health warning on the rifle butts. <laughs> this gun can seriously damage your health. <laughs> It's all very well to take this lightly, Humphrey, but we cannot close our eyes to something that is as morally wrong as this. Government isn't about morality. Oh, really? What is it about then? Stability, keeping things going, preventing anarchy, stopping society falling to bits, still being here tomorrow. What for? 
I beg your pardon. What is the ultimate purpose of government if it isn't for doing good? Minister, government isn't about good and evil. It's only about order or chaos. My job is to carry out government policy. Even if you think it's wrong? Well, almost all government policy is wrong. <laughs> but frightfully well carried out. Humphrey, have you ever known a civil servant to resign on a matter of principle? I should think not. What an appalling suggestion. For the first time, I fully understand that you are purely committed to means and not ends. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Minister, and all of my colleagues, there is no difference between means and ends. If you believe that, Humphrey, you will go to hell. Oh, Minister, I had no idea you had a theological bent. <laughs> you are a moral vacuum, If Humphrey. you say so, Minister. Oh, it's uh, time for your lunch appointment. Now, you're keeping very quiet, Bernard. What will you do about all this? I would keep very quiet, Minister. <laughs> so, Minister, may we drop this matter of the arms sales? No, we may not. I'm but... going to tell the Prime Minister personally. Minister... Make an appointment for me, would you, Bernard? This is just the sort of thing that the Prime Minister wants to know. I assure you, Minister, this is just the sort of thing the Prime Minister desperately wants not to know about. We shall see about that. Indeed, we will. What's the matter, Bernard? Oh, uh, nothing really, Sir Humphrey. You look unhappy. Well, I was just wondering if the minister was right, actually. Very unlikely. What about? About uh, ends and means. I mean, will I end up as a moral vacuum, too? Oh, I hope so, Bernard. <laughs> if you work hard enough. Makes me feel rather downcast. I mean, if it's our job to carry out government policies, shouldn't we believe in them? Oh, what an extraordinary idea. <laughs> Why? Bernard, I have served 11 governments... In the past 30 years, if I'd believed in all their policies, I would have been passionately committed to keeping out of the common market and passionately committed to going into it. I would have been utterly convinced of the rightness of nationalizing steel and of denationalizing it and renationalizing it. <laughs> On capital punishment, I would have been a fervent retentionist and an ardent abolitionist. I would have been a Keynesian and a Friedmanite, a grammar school preserver and destroyer, a nationalization freak and a privatization maniac, but above all, I would be a stark staring, raving schizophrenic. So, what do we believe in? At this moment, Bernard, we believe in stopping the minister from informing the prime minister. But why? Because once the prime minister knows, there will have to be an inquiry, like Watergate. The investigation of a trivial break-in led to one ghastly revelation after another until, finally, the downfall of a president. The golden rule is, don't lift lids off cans of worms. No, Sir Humphrey. Everything is connected to everything else. Who said that? The cabinet secretary. Nearly right. Actually, it was Lenin. So, how do you stop a cabinet minister talking to a prime minister? Well, now, that's a very interesting question. You tell me. I don't know. Well, work it out, Bernard. You're supposed to be a high flyer. Or are you really a low flyer supported by occasional gusts of wind? <laughs> uh, well, you can't stop the minister seeing the PM, can you? I can't, no. Uh, nor can the private office at number 10. Correct. So, it has to be someone pretty high up in government. Getting warmer. Someone close to the PM, someone who can frighten the minister. Mm-hmm. The chief whip. Excellent, Bernard. You've learnt a lot. So, how do you crack the whip? I'm sorry? How do you mobilise the chief whip? Uh, well, the minister's asked me to phone the PM's private office for an appointment. So, 
If you had a word with the cabinet secretary and he had a word with the diary secretary and they all had a word with the whip's office, then when the minister arrived, the chief whip could meet him and say the PM was rather busy and had asked him to have a word with the minister instead. Excellent, Bernard. You should have taken a degree in engineering. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I, I thought you wanted to talk to the cabinet secretary, Sir Humphrey. I do indeed. Now, do you, Bernard, as the minister's private secretary feel obliged to tell the minister of this conversation? Uh, what conversation? Well done, Bernard. <laughs> You'll be a moral vacuum yet. <laughs> oh, Jim, my dear chap, how nice to see you. Oh, Vic, I was hoping to see the Prime Minister, actually. Yes, actually, the PM's rather busy today, asked me to see you instead. Well, I'm sorry, Vic, it's not really a matter for the Chief Whip. Yes. Well, the PM has asked me to have a preliminary conversation and write a background note. Save time later. Oh. Well, I've been given some pretty dramatic information. Go on. The Italian red terrorist groups are being supplied with top-secret bomb detonators made in this country in a government factory. And you feel you should tell the PM? Well, yes. The PM's head of security. I don't think it's anything to burden the PM with. Let's hold it over, shall we? You mean, forget all about it? That's my recommendation. I'm sorry, Vic, I can't accept that. The PM must be told. If the PM were to be told, there'd have to be an inquiry. Exactly. Which might perhaps reveal that all sorts of undesirable and even hostile governments had been supplied with British-made arms. Are you serious? Oh, I said perhaps. Which might perhaps be highly embarrassing to some of our cabinet colleagues. Foreign Secretary, Defence Secretary, Trade Secretary, and to the PM personally. Yes. Well, doing the right thing might be embarrassing sometimes, and that's not a very good reason for not doing it. You know we already sell arms to places like Syria, Chile, Iran? Yes, well, that's officially approved. Quite. And you're happy about what they do with them? Well, obviously not entirely. Well, you're either in the arms business or you're not. Well, if being in it means arming murderers and terrorists, then we should be out. It's immoral. Oh, great. Great. And is it moral to put 100,000 British workers out of a job? What about the exports? Two billion pounds a year down the tube, for starters. And what about the votes? Where do you think the government places all these weapons contracts? Well, in marginal constituencies, obviously. Exactly. <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is that now that I know about it, the Prime Minister must be told. Why? Why? Just because you've caught something nasty, why do you have to wander about breathing over everyone? <laughs> Are you happy in the cabinet? Wait, yes, of course I am. And you want to stay in it? Well, then. I'm sorry, Vic, but there is such a thing as duty. There are times when one must do what one's conscience tells one to do. Oh, for God's sake. Must you go round flashing your petty, private, individual little conscience? Don't you think anybody else has got one? Haven't you got a conscience about the survival of this government? Of course I have, yes. Here's the PM on the verge of signing an international anti-terrorist agreement. Oh, I... Oh. oh. I didn't know about that. There's a lot you don't know about. Can't you see that it's essential to deal with the major policy aspects? Rather than pick off a couple of little arms exporters and terrorist groups? Yes. Yes, I, I suppose it is just a couple of little <laughs> terrorist groups... Well, they can't kill that many people, can they? I suppose not. And you want to blow it all in a fit of moral self-indulgence. After all, 
with the PM thinking about you as the next foreign secretary. Uh, <laughs> Do you mean that? Lord. Still, if you want to master yourself, then go ahead and press for an inquiry. Feel free to jeopardize everything we've all fought for and worked for together all these years. No, 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 of course not. No, well, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's appalling if Italian terrorists are getting hold of British weapons, but, as you said, there is such a thing as loyalty, you know, the common purpose. I suppose one must, one must see these things in a proper perspective. Of course, if you were at the Ministry of Defence or the Board of Trade. Well, absolutely, I'm Ministry of Defence problem, <laughs> Board of Trade problem. Foreign office problem. Yes, I see that now. So we can hold it over for the time being, can we? We don't want to upset and embarrass the PM, oh, do absolutely we? not. Definitely not. No. Sorry I mentioned it. Good man. <laughs> so I thought, on balance, it was probably best to leave it at that. Let sleeping dogs lie. I mean, in the wider interest... As a loyal member of the government. Nothing to be gained. Opening a can of worms. But the Major said they were terrorists. Yes, well... We bombed Dresden. We're all terrorists, really, aren't we? No. Well, I, no, I mean, metaphorically. You should meet the Chief Whip. He certainly is. <laughs> but someone in Britain is trying to give bombs to murderers. Ah, uh, selling, not giving. Well, that makes it okay. No, be serious, Annie. An investigation might uncover... All sorts of going on. Oh, I see. It's all right to investigate if you might catch one criminal, but not if you might catch lots of them. Well, if they're your cabinet colleagues, yes, you're right. You see, government is very complex, Annie. So many conflicting considerations. Like whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, exactly. No, no, darling, no. I, well, what do you suggest I should do? Take a moral stand. How? Threaten resignation. Then accept it. <laughs> Then where would I be? I mean, if they accept my resignation and I'm gone, I'm not in a position to do any good anymore, am I? Well, you're not doing good now. Look, resignation might be a sop to my conscience and to yours, but it won't stop Italian terrorists getting British bombs. Well, it might if you threaten to tell what you know. Well, what do I know? I don't know any hard facts. I know it's going on because nobody's denied it, but that's not proof. Can't you see I'm in a real fix? I don't think you realise just how real a fix you're in. This letter arrived today. I'm afraid I opened it. It's from Major Saunders. Dear Mr. Hacker, thank you for seeing me on Monday last. It's such a relief to have told you about this ghastly business of the supply of British weapons to the Italian terrorists. I know you will act upon this information as you promised, and I look forward to seeing some action taken. You see? Now, what will you do when Major Saunders tells the world that he told you about the scandal and you did nothing? It's a photocopy. He's got the original. And it was recorded delivery, so you can't say you didn't get it. I'm trapped. Completely trapped, Humphrey. I can't tell the PM, and I can't not tell the PM. I see. I was just wondering, Minister, if we might not use the Rhodesia solution. Bernard, you excel yourself. Of course, Minister, the Rhodesia solution. What are you talking about? Oil sanctions. Remember, a member of the government was told about the way British companies were sanction-busting. What did he do? He told the Prime Minister. Well, what did he do? He told the Prime Minister in such a way that the Prime Minister didn't hear him. 
May I should mumble it or something in the division lobby? No, 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 Melissa. You write a note. In very faint pencil. <laughs> Please be practical, Humphrey. No, Minister, it's awfully obvious. You write a note which is susceptible of misinterpretation. Oh, I see. Dear Prime Minister, it's come to my attention that the Italian Red Terrorists are getting hold of British top-secret bomb-making equipment. How do you misinterpret that? You can't. Well, exactly. So you don't write that. You use a more circumspect style, and you avoid any mention of bombs or terrorists or any of that sort of thing. Wouldn't that be rather difficult? Is that what it's all about? You say. Now, Bernard, write this down. My attention has been drawn on a personal basis to information which suggests a possibility of certain irregularities under Section... Section 1 of the Import, Export and Custom Powers Defence Act 1939C. <laughs> Thank you, Bernard. You then go on to suggest someone else should do something about it. Prima facie evidence suggests that there could be a case for further investigation to establish whether or not inquiries should be put in hand. Then you smudge it all over. <laughs> Nevertheless, it should be stressed that available information is limited and relevant facts could be difficult to establish with any degree of certainty. I see. Then if there were any inquiry, you'd be in the clear and everybody would understand that the busy PM might not have grasped the full implications of such a letter. I certainly would. That's most unclear. <laughs> Thank you, Minister. Then you arrange for the letter to arrive at number 10 on the day the PM leaves for an overseas summit. So there's also doubt about whether it was the PM or the acting PM who read the note. And so the whole thing is written off as a breakdown in communications. Everybody's in the chair. Everybody can get on with their business. Including the red terrorists. Exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you about government. You must always try and do the right thing. But you must never let anyone catch you trying to do it. Because doing right's wrong, right? Haven't you had enough, darling? No, oh, still some left in the bottle. No, the thing about government is principle. And the principle is you mustn't rock the boat. Because if you do, all the little consciences will fall out. And you must all hang together. Because if you don't hang together, you'll all be hanged separately. <laughs> and I'm hanged if I'll be hanged. You know, politics is about helping others. Even if that means helping terrorists. Well, terrorists are others, aren't they? I mean, they're not us, are they? Mm. You must always follow your conscience. But you must know where you're going, so you can't follow your conscience, because it may not be going the same way that you are. <laughs> Empty. Like a moral vacuum. Oh, cheer up, darling. Nothing good ever comes out of Whitehall. You did what you could. You don't really mean that? I do. No, I'm just like Humphrey and all the rest. Now, that's certainly not true. Uh, He's lost his sense of right and wrong. You've still got yours. Have I? It's just that you don't use it much. <laughs> You're a sort of whiskey priest. You do at least know when you've done the wrong thing. Whiskey priest? That's right. Yeah. Let's open another bottle. We haven't got one. What do you think's in my third red box this evening? Yeah. <laughs> uh. Do you want one? Yes, Minister. In The Whiskey Priest, you heard Paul Eddington as Jim Hacker, Nigel Hawthorne as Sir Humphrey, and Derek Foles as Bernard. Annie was played by Diana Hodenot, The Chief Whip by Edward Dewsbury, and Major Saunders by Anton Rogers. Yes, Minister was written by Anthony Jay and Jonathan Lynn and adapted for radio by the producer, Pete Atkin.
You are listening to the Comedy Corner here on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. And that was an episode of Yes Minister entitled The Whiskey Priest. Now, as promised, here's Hancock's Half Hour with How Hancock Won the War. And can I apologise for the slightly poor sound quality? This was one of the original missing episodes of Hancock's Half Hour. Why should I have only one of me and one later? Don't tell me. 
you don't care, do you? <laughs> don't you understand? I want to do me this. He's doing you now, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hurry, please, hurry. Every minute wasted if I go home, Rolly. Right? You have to feel the phone. Now, how old are you? I see. Where were you going? 
So am I. They caught me before I had a chance. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, very good. Exactly. Both you men have disgraceful records. I've got to charge you, dear. Look at it. Okay. You've been in the army for 12 months. The 11 of them you've spent in the glasshouse. <laughs> what happened during the other month? I was waiting for another building. How on earth a man like you come to get in the British Army? Bad luck, that's all. I was digging my way out of Wandsworth when I come up at the head of a queue in the recruiting office. And you, Kerr? Yeah? You, I take it, are Australian. Yeah, call her out of your mouth. Englishmen have bayonets on the end of their rifles, not blue, right? What, uh, what part of Australia do you come from? I was born in a bush, Sarge.
Danube, then let Pastorian the Rhine, and by all cool powers, let us with that. And did it? No, we flung it in the mess and the tide put it out. But there isn't a tide in the Mediterranean. Yes, I know. <laughs> you can stop it. I was just behind the line, just to go off the trumpet. This is in Norway. I remember the French campaign. Didn't we yet? Turning point of the army career, we were dragging just outside Paris, 500 miles behind the enemy lines, and the Hun was throwing everything at us. The arm was dropping very low, but I was standing firm.
accomplished, sir. Congratulations. That's the end. Thank you. Hello, it's all 
like you. You better ask Jim, I'll be right Oh, 
the bravery. Medals, medals. I uh, really don't want to go along with our activities, so I can't remember any medals. But all those battles, is it? been listening to the Comedy Corner here on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM. That's all for this week folks, so until I speak to you again next week, this is Graham Stevens saying keep smiling. We've got some off-price crack ties, some miles and miles of carpet tiles, TVs, deep freeze and David Bowie OPs, pool games, gold chains, worst names and head push, and Trevor Francis track suits from a mushy shepherd's bush. Bush, 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 bush. Tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices at a straw. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.